right. I'm Chase. I'm Shannon. Uh, religion is the opiate of the masses. <laughs> and I've and always, always said, said that. that. <laughs> I was not ready for that. Okay, do you want to hear the other tagline I came up with? I would love to hear the other tagline. It's going to be really cringe, but you still have to say. And I've always said that. Yeah. Okay. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Religion and wellness. More like religion and swellness. And I've always said that. <laughs> I'm leave. sorry. Can it was so corny. <laughs> Once I thought of How it, how long I was did like, you take to come up with that? Oh no, like two seconds. But then I was like, I literally can't think of anything. Okay, because literally any <laughs> length of time longer, and I, I would have left. Actually, I, <laughs> I knew it was going to be bad, but like I couldn't pass up the opportunity to make fun of it. Oh yeah. Okay. So today's topic is religion and wellness. Yeah. Um. Before we get into that, I kind of want to discuss the difference between spirituality and religion because mm-hmm. this is something that came up a lot in my research today. Definitely. So in terms of spirituality, um, it was defined as the individual's awareness for a being or force that transcends the material aspects of life and gives a deep sense of wholeness or connectedness to the universe. So, whoa, yes. When we're thinking okay. of spirituality, it's normally like more individualistic. Yeah. And then when we get to religion, um, it tends to be defined as communi- sorry, communal objective experiences that focus on the sacred and include institutional or denominational aspects. So that's definitely okay. more of like a group or community experience. Got it. Got it. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think. And that's it's the spirituality is just like the it's just kind of the catchphrase of Brooklyn. <laughs> or really a Bushwick in general. It's like here we be spiritual. <laughs> well, so a lot of people think of spirituality as the more secular practice of religion. Right. And so yeah, that's yeah. when like a lot of religious alternatives can come into the mix. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I always thought of spirituality as. I mean, like I do I I do like tarot card readings and I have like crystals and stuff because I have to to like I live in Bushwick like that's what you have to do but (laughs) (laughs) yeah so today I think we're mostly going to discuss the links between religion Mm -hmm. and wellness and like some of the empirical evidence towards that some subjective Mm -hmm. stuff and everything in between Um, but I think first we could start with Mm. um, some different ideas that a lot of people have created i don't know where i'm going with this basically people yeah. say that religion can affect your wellness correct do we think that's and true i mean yeah i think i think i'd be kind of hard pressed to find um a way in which religion in any capacity didn't affect your wellness or well-being because no matter how far removed you think you are from religion babe you aren't like i can promise you this country that we call home 365 days of the year for the most part is uh it was founded by like right-wing religious zealots and like press collars like you really can't avoid it yeah definitely and i think religion is very intrinsically linked to a lot of the institutions in the U.S., even though we pretend Mm -hmm. that, like, separation of church and state exists. Right. Um, But based on a study, it's quantitative this week. We are very excited. Very quantitative. (laughs) (laughs) So there have been about 4,000 quantitative studies Mm -hmm. that have linked religion to, like, increased 
health outcomes and mm-hmm. mental health outcomes. So yeah. there have been some links that correlate it with lower levels of hypertension, heart disease, uh, stroke risk, mm-hmm. and then anxiety, depression, and loneliness. Um, in another study, I also saw that it could have a correlation to lower divorce rates and substance use. Mm. But I don't know if that's because it's lower or because people, people are less likely to report about it. it. Yeah. Right. So like that one I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't believe quite as much. Well, it's like a specific the specifically substance abuse, it makes me mm-hmm. think of um Islam. As a religion, because all of that yeah. is haram, like alcohol, drugs, all of that kind of stuff is is like not deemed as good and you should abstain from it at all costs. So caffeine as well. Yeah, for sure. And um, caffeine is a drug. Remember that. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I've always said that. Not to sound like a health teacher. I've always said that. Um, and yeah, so I found I found something really similar. I found that um, in a study conducted among nurses at hospitals in World War II, um, those who attended some form of religious service, whether that was going to a Sunday service or praying on their own, whatever that was, uh, were 80% less likely to ideate suicide. Okay, interesting. Yeah. And I think, so one of my big issues in approaching this is how are we separating the fact that people go to church mm. from the fact that people believe in religion? Right. Because there are people yeah. who go to church strictly for the secular community that it provides. Yeah. And maybe that's not so much that they believe in religion. Yeah. And that was what was really interesting. So for me personally, I grew up very removed from religion and like Christianity specifically because my dad is Jewish and my mom is Christian. So it's just like a division there but like my grandparents for instance they're um on my jewish side they go to temple every week they're very involved with the community they love all their friends there my grandpa's on the choir they they don't really believe in god they literally just go because they love having that community and that feeling of i kept running across the term like connectedness and that is what i feel like really fosters positive well-being and yields positive results is that feeling of connectedness yeah i also saw it called like a stabilizing factor Mm. which i think is really good because i think it speaks to the routine of it also like you get up on sunday and you go to church or you get up on saturday Mm -hmm. like those kinds of things Mm -hmm. and there's also certain celebrations and things like that that bring people together in every religion that definitely encourage that sense of community and so i think that makes a lot of sense that even if people aren't necessarily religious if they have that Mm -hmm. community it's more likely that they're not going to be lonely right absolutely and i think well that's just also the thing of like you have to really strike that healthy balance is what i found in a lot of my research because there is like a hotly debated psychological condition called religious trauma syndrome or something which is like very closely tied to complex ptsd which is another like hot button kind of topic that's really risen into cultural prominence in the past couple years but um it essentially revolves around like the trauma stemming from an unhealthy or unsafe religious environment 
it's like very contested like a not a ton of people love the term but it's just so it's very easy to throw that kind of label onto that. So it's just, I think what I'm babbling about essentially <laughs> is that you really have to um, strike that healthy balance and find like a community that isn't so much fear-based or like is going to push you into a sense of conformity. Or if you deviate from any of the rules in the community, then you're immediately ostracized. You're You're ousted from the community. Yeah, I think it's another example of like trying to set a boundary in any part of your life like right. if you decide what that is before you go in mm -hmm. and like have that decided then like you're much less likely to go against it i think okay i don't know that's what i think. No, it definitely <laughs> like you have to have to have those healthy boundaries because i think where where it starts to maybe like lean into um, dangerous territory is once um your relationships with other people and this doesn't have to just be in like a religious sense, it can really be anything is once you dive into the realm of codependence and that kind of stuff. Again, what are my psychological qualifications? <laughs> Don't ask. Like, literally <laughs> just keep minding your business. But <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think that's what I want to say on that. <laughs> um, There was also, so if we're going to assume based mm -hmm. on the studies that like there is a positive effect yeah still i have some qualms with that but like that's okay yeah yeah but so there's an acronym for it did you see it anywhere no what's the acronym it's babe <laughs> it's belief <Bye>. as <laughs> beneficial effect i saw it in it was in a journal who wrote that i don't know some canadian people wrote about it of and course so, they did well so they were trying to say that like Canadian atheists are just as happy as other people who like don't practice, oh. which also makes sense. So, like, it, if anywhere, the atheists would be happiest in Canada. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, you have free healthcare and milk in the bag. Like, yeah, you're going to be non derogatory. <laughs> if I can punch my milk and it doesn't punch me back, that's that's a great feeling. Yeah, there was really nothing else. I just wanted to tell you that that was an acronym. It was really fun. I, I, what is it? What is it again? Babe. Yeah, but what does it stand for? Uh, belief as beneficial effect. Belief as beneficial effect. And there's okay. a bunch of hyphens in between the first three words. Yeah, I, I think you kind of need it. <laughs> it doesn't really make sense as like a phrase. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, so I guess overall it's mm -hmm. generally accepted that religion or a religious community can help alleviate suffering. Yeah. But... So when I was researching, I also found that sometimes people who are more religious are less inclined to seek professional help, oh. which I thought was very interesting. So they feel like sometimes healthcare providers or mental health providers aren't educated enough on religion mm. and kind of have stereotyped them before they even meet them. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes they feel like their religious beliefs aren't being respected. Okay. And so, yeah, there was this whole article about how religion has like a PR problem, which I thought was like such an interesting way to frame it. Yeah. What a fascinating way to frame that headline. <laughs> but it's kind of true if you think about it. So like how often do you hear about like the average aspects of religious life? Mm. What you hear in and I'm absolutely not propaganda for yeah. the religious 
Big religion. Big religion. Uh oh, watch out. Big (laughs) religion's coming. I know, don't sue me. Um, But if you think about it, a lot of the times that religion is in the press is because of extremism. Mm. And so you're seeing all the ways in which religion is a bad actor. Mm. But not often do you see the regular, like day to day things that are done in a congregation or. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. Well, we also, yeah, I feel like um, just immediate kind of uh, word association whenever I think mm-hmm. of religion is I think of like deep Southern Baptist, like the most evangelical, the evangelical, like the most unhinged right wing people you're ever going to meet in your life when chances are most of the time the religious people that I've encountered in my life have not really been like that. Okay, I've had some, like, not great experiences. Well, there definitely (laughs) have been. There definitely have been, especially, like, coming from a small town in Connecticut where, like, the biggest building in town was the Roman Catholic Church in the center of town, and, like, everybody went there, and it was just that was how you built community. Like, that was... But then I think, like, the... And not to, like, spin off of that, but it made me think of, like, the effect of when you're not involved in the religious community, that has... a can have like extremely damaging effects. Being like ostracized. Yeah, especially I was always so jealous of the kids who got to go to youth group. I shit you not. (laughs) Because I was like, they're all hanging out without me. Like they all (laughs) have this cool thing to do on Wednesday nights. And what am I doing? I'm going to mad science club where I'm going to use UV beads to turn them purple. What? I want to talk about Jonah. Like, no, you don't, Chase. I actually don't. But when I was eight, I was like, I just want to be included. That's very valid. <laughs> um, yeah. And they also, okay. We're pivoting. We're pivoting. They also called churches the incubators for social enterprise, which I thought oh. was so fascinating. Because if you think about really? it. You gain a lot of social capital in a church. You see someone every week. You say hi. Yep. You assume they're doing the same things because you're together all the time. Yeah. And so a lot of times people can get like funders mm-hmm. or like seed money or like they just create connections that help them like move socially. But then that just made me think of cults immediately, which I don't think we want to get into today. Oh, that's that's a whole other. That but is another fish to fry. Because you're already talking about things that are like you can't touch them. Right. Like you can't touch religion. And so if people yeah. are kind of primed to mm-hmm. think about things that are immaterial mm-hmm. or like not uh, tangential, I don't know. What am I talking about? Phenomenal question. Stuff you can't touch. <laughs> Stuff you can't touch. Um, <laughs> Abstract ideas. There God, we go. kind of. Um, yeah. So if they're taxes, already primed. I don't know. <laughs> if they're already primed to think about things that they can't, physically feel mm-hmm. and see yeah then like maybe they'll be more likely to think of other things that mm-hmm. are kind of out there no i think that's definitely and in that way it kind of the organized religion to greek life pipeline this is a weird little i was hop, not expecting but, this uh, but it just in my mind it works very similarly because you're relying on a network so there's like because i think of like Specific, a lot of time in like the Jewish faith, for instance, and a lot of the time with um, people like when I was saying that I moved to New York and I told my grandparents that I was moving to New York and I wanted to do entertainment and stuff, they 
flew to their network at <laughs> Temple and were calling up everybody. So I got in contact with like the the son of their friends from Temple who they see like every service and got to talk to him about that. So that functions very similar in my mind, again, as somebody who grew up like very disconnected from religion to like calling on your sorority sister at Capitalta to get you a job at GM. I don't know. That's very interesting. I never would have thought of that. Yeah, that's just kind of the the tangential way of an autistic mind, I think. That's so beautiful. This, movie is, this, this podcast is brought to you by a beautiful mind. <laughs> TM, TM, sponsor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I think we also wanted to discuss like how this affects um, – different populations right so in particular you found a lot about how this affects the elderly yeah yeah i came across a lot in my research a lot of the scholarly articles i saw were like how is this affecting old people like the old people need this and i was like baby you're so right actually (laughs) like when you think about it you're so correct because when if i'm edging towards the end of my life which realistically like you never know like tomorrow could be your last day but the cultural expectation overall is that you're going to die when you're old and you kind of need that almost. And like, especially I feel like in our culture in the U S where we tend to like push people aside once they no longer serve the hyper-capitalist agenda. <laughs> Not to, this is a very quantitative research <laughs> podcast, but um, once they no longer like serve the the purpose of like, producing the means of labor then it still provides a way for the elders in our society to like remain in touch with other members of the community if you think about it the way that you make most of your relationships Mm -hmm. is through like other friends or like your job or your activities and Mm -hmm. if you lose one of those avenues which is your workplace or like places around your workplace then Mm -hmm. that cuts out a significant portion of your social network if you don't choose to like stay friends beyond that so that makes sense yeah and also like in the morbid way like your friends are gonna pass Mm -hmm. like some of them will and just like it's also not very likely that you're going to create like really significant bonds towards the end of your life unless you're like put in a position where you need to. Mm -hmm. So it kind of makes sense that a lot of older people wouldn't have that opportunity. Right. And I think to kind of build on that, I remember for a hot second, my freshman year of college, me and my friends were going to like the Episcopal church on campus because it's a whole thing. My roommate got hit by a car and he was dating the girl across the street. And then we kind of, maybe this should have been the the thing in the beginning that we talk about. Are but you saying um, you don't like my tagline? I, <laughs> I thought it was so creative. And I really love that you put so much thought into, and the way that like a mom is like, oh, this macaroni necklace is so good. And like you did so good, babe. Keep it up. Um, I think just... <laughs> Oh, okay. I got it. I picked it back up. I dropped it, but then I picked it back up. And um, we would we would go to this church, and there were like um, there were a lot of older people that attended the church who were just like from the local community, Southern Rhode Island. You know how it is. I think churches or religious institutions at large are really interesting 
spaces that provide intergenerational communication opportunities that you might not always get elsewhere. Because when I think about it, like where else are you really in that sort of contained environment where you're almost forced? I know in churches, like talk to your neighbor and like do all the in, in Judaism, we don't really do that. But like we're like, actually, we don't give a shit. But um, it's very it's still like encouraging you to like reach out and talk to people who aren't really the same as you and build those connections, which I think is mutually beneficial. Yeah, definitely. And so do y'all not like shake hands and stuff during services? I might not be the best authority okay. on this, but um, <laughs> from the services I've been to, it's a lot of, uh, it's a lot more singing and a lot um yeah, that happens too. Yeah, it's very like, it's similar, but it's also different because it's a little more insular. Because we tended to go around like the high holidays and mm. stuff, or more holiday based stuff, and it's a lot more singular. Like a lot of the stuff you don't really like in the way that like Christians have Lent, like Jews have Yom Kippur, which is very like you you just starve yourself for a day and then your sins are completely absolved. And how that works, nobody knows. <laughs> the role of fasting in religion is the, wild. It's really wild. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's just like that that sort of community building that I think is is mutually beneficial. It was something I came across in my research as well. But And it doesn't always apply to like a religious institution or anything like that. But if um, one LGBTQ child um has at least one supportive adult they are um 40 percent less likely to like have fallen to the throes of depression have suicidal ideation stuff like that so it was just a, a statistic from the trevor project that again was like connected to that feeling of connectedness and like togetherness so yeah definitely and Another community that is obviously like affected by religion mm -hmm. is the LGBTQIA community. And mm -hmm. a lot of times with the intersection of gender, sex, um, yes, and then race, that can add like different levels of trauma to your religious experience. Right. So there was an article I found that talked about how a lot of times in like the pre and post civil civil war era mm -hmm. um a lot of like christian ideology was used against black people to keep them subjugated oh yeah and so there was that aspect obviously and mm -hmm. like the reinforcement of slavery and mm. white supremacy and all those things but then if you think of someone who has that identity and also is gay mm -hmm. that's another level of i don't know like <laughs> oppression kind of yeah but level also like subjugation maybe i don't know the word i want to use okay. it's a different <laughs> level of like shame that's forced upon them shame. By that is a that is a huge one i feel like that is the huge kind of overarching kind of antithesis to any optimal mental health journey within a religious space is like the the use of fear and shame to like tamp down a lot of even if you don't like there's so much stuff out there that talks about like 
masturbation, for instance, even if you even if you aren't part of the alphabet mafia, <laughs> um, such as your two lovely hosts, <laughs> um, you you could still um, religion still kind of find or at least organized religion specifically can tends to find ways to like shame you for these sorts of things. I know in like Orthodox Judaism, it's um, according to the orthodoxy at large. And again, every kind of smaller institution practices differently. It's not always like a, a general rule that applies to everyone. But in Orthodox Judaism, like it's okay to be gay in theory. Like you can say, oh, I'm I'm gay or I'm trans or I'm non-binary. But it's like the acting on it. That's it's the, the acting sin. on it. Yeah. yeah. In practice, everybody's mm -hmm. like, yikes. So <laughs> Yeah, that is the wild part, too. Yeah. It's like it's acknowledging that people intrinsically have these feelings mm -hmm. and that this is something that they might encounter on a daily basis. But just if they just push that down, then that's OK. Right. And I th that obviously is not going to work with your mental health very well. <laughs> it's really not going to um, be something that allows your journey to thrive. But I think... Um, Finding you can still find um, religious communities if that's important to you that have this sort of community fostering ideal like the Episcopal Church and my friends and I went to freshman year. The vicar was gay. She was a lesbian. She had a partner and they were there all the time. It was Jan and Beth. I love them. Just five them. <laughs> and uh, it was it was just a very like overall. Um, Those are just very lesbian names, like Jan and Beth. Yeah, yeah, it was. Like, <laughs> yeah, just it reinforcing really the stereotype was. every day. <laughs> but it was like this church was so cute and it had like, like a little hobbit door on the front. And it was like uh, it had a big pride flag out front. So it was really like there to um, celebrate everybody, no matter how you identified. And that was very, so it felt such like a very welcoming space and really provided that atmosphere and um jan specifically really liked to reach out to us and we would get coffee just like kind of one-on-one -on -one. and especially that was the same year that i had a i had a therapist at the counseling center that was like i talk about it in my set so i don't feel like weird talking about it but he like he was the one who told me that like autism goes away after oh a God. while so yeah. that was that was weird but <laughs> it was kind of goofy of him. <laughs> Kind but, of silly, uh, goofy kind of, of silly, him. Goofy, kind of fierce. <laughs> kind of malpractice. And, uh, kind of malpractice. <laughs> kind of not culturally competent. <laughs> but uh, he, yeah, so some, honestly, sometimes talking to Jan, who was just like a, a third party, didn't really have an opinion on anything, was just kind of an objective source who was here to support and kind of help. She never like, pushed an agenda or anything or was like well god tells us that we should do this like never said anything like that and that was that was huge to like have that especially when you're a freshman in college like you're kind of alone and you really have to kind of figure your shit out you're like thrown to the wolves essentially so like yeah it's very helpful yeah and i feel like that kind of demonstrates one of the aspects of religion that like doesn't have to be 
technically like religious but mm-hmm. can be like very helpful for you so like right. that was a mentorship or like a counseling role that they mm-hmm. took on and then like a lot of praying or singing is like right. very meditative mm-hmm. so there's that aspect and then I don't know the singing can also be a way to express yourself and like there's different aspects of it that people can take on and maybe practice in a way that isn't really religious mm-hmm. if yeah. that's something that they find like helps them with their wellness overall. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. And I, I love that you brought up praying specifically because I, I noticed in a lot of my research that it's like, um, it's an, it, praying is categorized as like a stress modifier or something of the sort. I don't know if that's the right term, but it had stress in it, and it's like <laughs> or a stress inhibitor. So people will like turn to it in times of stress and duress and need. So. You don't always have to like run off to church or temple or wherever you go to pray. You can do it like at your bedside or even like at your desk or something. And just like praying really helps people. And it is a form of meditation. And I know a lot. And um, actually, when I when I was talking to this, this guy I know who's a, a religious scholar, um, he studies Judaism specifically. There's like the... Um, idea of like rocking back and forth while you're praying and that's like it's like one like strange interpretation is that like when men do it you're like impregnating mother earth that was a very like weird thing that's for another day that's for another day i thought it was gonna be like being cradled like a baby like being rocked and yeah i feel like there's well that's like I think the whole reason behind like the happy baby pose in yoga is like when you're rocking back. That was and the forth, most patriarchal. Th- I can't get past really it. So patriarchal, honey. <laughs> welcome to Judaism. <laughs> like very patriarchal. Yeah, I was thinking more happy baby. Right, vibes. but they but they thought more <laughs> sucking and fucking. <laughs> but it's uh, but that's like the kind of. Talk about planting your seeds for real for, for the fruits <laughs> of your labor. Hey y'all. <laughs> Oh we don't God. need a Foley board. We <laughs> just need the talent of our voices. We're like acapella artists. But <laughs> that's like, uh, to me, that's just like, it's a self-soothing technique mm-hmm. is like praying. I know like there's the whole, in Christianity, there's like the rosary, right? Where you like yeah. pray to the rosary and you have to like touch each one. Well, so the purpose of that is to count actually. Okay. So there's 10 beads okay. per strand, mm-hmm. like in between. And then there's like, the main one and then Mm. you start again so you can do like series of the rosaries and it's like it becomes a big thing in lent because then you do Mm. all the stations it's a whole thing right but yeah it's technically to count but yeah it is also kind of like a sensory relaxation thing if you think about it oh yeah for sure because that like to me in my autistic mind i'm like how is that any different from like stemming Mm. You know what I mean? When we like shake our hands or we like rock back and forth or something. I'm like, how is that any different? It's still like a self-soothing technique that people take on. Or like fidget spinners. Right. Exactly. <laughs> fidget spinner. Thank you for bringing that back. This is actually, we the want to take this moment to talk the about The 14th century fidget spinner. Yeah. <laughs> you heard it I here first. They needed some way to like spice shit up. I think life gets hard when you're just like toiling in the fields. Which I think from like uh, a field toiling. Oh, classic. yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's what's so interesting. And I, I really wish that my my own research had dived more into like the historical perspective on this, because obviously this uh, religion was so important 
in people's lives like way way back when it's like the reason that whole countries were started and like stuff like that so it was just a very important source of community that people had in their lives and when you weren't a part of it it was just kind of like that's a really big deal and then kind of anyways read the scarlet letter like that's it'll tell you all about it she had an a for a reason reason. and like the uh the shame and kind of fear that religion can induce on you and like that's not good for the old mental health that's not good for wellness or anything like that so just kind of taking that and now we we live in uh in a time that's deemed so much as like a secular time but what i found in my research when i was looking at young people is that like younger people are tending to flock back to spirituality or some forms of religion and kind of like picking and choosing what members of our generation like like to do so that was very interesting to me that we're kind of like almost running back to this more communal way of living yeah and i do wonder if maybe COVID or like climate change or things like that, that like kind of scare people Mm -hmm. are one of the reasons just because people need something to think of or believe in beyond like ourselves. Right. Because otherwise it's, there's very much a sense of like, what's the point? Like what's it all worth? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, I feel like we're getting much more existential than we're I was expecting. Very existential here. <laughs> but um, a lot of again to to just like bring it back to the the research and stuff, what I found is that um most generally most social scientists in the modern day would characterize human beings homo sapiens, if you will. Um oh, we're getting as, technical. Uh, we're getting technical, we're getting Latin up in here. Is <laughs> uh would characterize us as like creatures driven by meaning and purpose, which I don't know if that's like, I don't know if I 100, I think I agree with it, but to like, it's hard to tear that away from like meaning and purposes in like career or fulfillment, like stuff like that. I'm like, where does the capitalism of it all come in? And that to be, but I think like, yeah. And being in a community setting, doing communal work, even like if you're going out and doing work with like a, a church group or something like that, that that does give you a sense of purpose and it does give you a sense of fulfillment and meaning. So I think it kind of taps into that sort of primal urge or whatever. To like be with other people. Yeah. Not to like rock back and forth and impregnate mother. <laughs> Okay, I think mm-hmm. we should end on a weird kooky question. Are you ready? Okay, I'm so ready. Do you believe in aliens? Absolutely. Definitely. Absolutely, I do. The universe is way too big for I us agree. to be alone. But don't go around impregnating the earth to try but to make aliens. Don't, don't do around. it. And I've always said that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's the end of the app. Um, we forgot to say where you can find us on Instagram. Yeah. So here we go. Um, my Instagram is at Ferry. And my Instagram is at Chase A. Hoffman. Okay, like, subscribe, all the things. We love you. Love you. Bye. Bye.